Hey everybody, Melissa McKenzie of the American Spectator. Joining with me again is Scott McKay of the American Spectator and of course the Hayride in Louisiana. This is our second podcast. We are now up on YouTube and all the places, Spotify, iTunes, everything. I hope that you'll find us there, subscribe and get us started rolling. Uh, it's been a crazy week. We had things that we we're intending to talk about, Scott, namely Armageddon. Right. But before we get to the end of all humanity as we know it, I thought it would be good for us to talk about last night's debates. <laughs> Fetterman again. <laughs> Fetterman again. Now, here's here's my hot take. And I was told on Twitter this isn't a very hot take, but um, it's a it's kind of a lukewarm take, okay? So I don't want to oversell it. Uh, but I think that Fetterman's still going to win in Pennsylvania. And the reason I think that is because 500,000 people have already voted. Uh, and the um, Pennsylvania is defying the Supreme Court's ruling that they cannot um, throw, that they must throw out votes that are sent in that are not dated. Right which is the state law. Right. And so once again, we have the situation where in Pennsylvania, they are defying the law and who's going to stop them. Right. And um, so. Well, I'll say this, um, you know, cause like between us, I'm the optimist, right? I'm I'm like the I'm like the grumpiest optimist of all time, I guess. But I'm I'm in this room. I'm the optimist. Um, I think that last night was a complete disaster. Like so much so that like I'm I'm I mean I, last night I was on Twitter watching the the reaction to it, and what I saw from Democrats. Uh, what I what I saw from the Republicans was like amusement. It was almost like it reminded me of that scene. And this is like an old ref. I keep coming back to Bonfire of the Vanities because it was such like a perfect movie for political junkies to draw stuff out of. And there's that one scene at the end of Bonfire of the Vanities when like Tom Hanks's character, you know, play, hits play on the tape recorder and like blows up the prosecution's case and he has this stupid grin on his face while the whole courtroom goes in other words like republicans watching that debate were basically tom hanks smiling as as the tape was playing is that your tape yes it's my tape right like that to me that that whole debate was an hour of that and mm -hmm. so republicans were dying laughing watching fetterman and the thing was is like you're supposed to not do that because it's like really you know, impolite to like make fun of a guy who's got a problem and say, no, 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 no. You're running for the U.S. Senate and you have proven yourself to be completely unfit to serve in the Senate. And everybody on your team has known this because they're around this guy all day long. And they decided to fleece the entire population, not just the Pennsylvania, but the country, their own donors and everything else. So Republicans are just really dying laughing. They thought it was hilarious to see how bad this guy actually was. And then as, as it was over, 
Fetterman's campaign complains to Nexstar about how their closed captioning system <laughs> that he wouldn't have debated without because he can't actually have a conversation with anyone, which was made perfectly clear when he did that interview with MSNBC and the reporter was like, hey, I hate to tell you guys, but we can't, like, I can't, he, we can't, I can't understand him. He can't understand me. The guy doesn't really speak the language anymore. And, oh, you can't say that. That's ableist and you shouldn't do it. So now everybody knows he can't even use a closed captioning system to make coherent answers. He sounded like a five-year-old kid who had just wet his pants and was trying to tell his mom that he, he hadn't, right? I mean, like the whole thing was a mess. And the response that I saw on Twitter from Democrats was fury. They were so mad that now they have to defend this mess. Um, you know, and of course, when those guys get mad, they get nasty and they were very, very nasty on Twitter. Now, does that answer your question about whether Fetterman, you know, will still win or not? I'm going to say the chances are much better that Oz will win now because, you know, there's, there's such a thing as the margin of fraud. And this is the type of disaster that then takes a race outside of the margin of fraud. Um, okay, wait. So let's like see. I don't think, I, you know, it's Pennsylvania and everything you said is correct because they fix elections in Pennsylvania. I mean, they've been fixing elections in Pennsylvania for a very long time. Long time. It might be the dirtiest state in America in terms of mm -hmm. uh, the spread between the actual vote, like actual legal vote and like what's recorded and sent, uh, uh, sent out as a result. So, you know, you can't, you can't have confidence in that race. But, I mean, you now have a situation where this thing is gonna, there's no way that this would pass the smell test uh, after, after last night. I, like, I don't think you can sell this to anybody. Oh yeah. Fetterman won that race fair and square because he's the best candidate in the race. Like, okay, it's, but it's, here, a, here's it's a, a total embarrassment if you even try to do that. Yeah, but people have done that. Matt Lewis. I'm not. Say, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, they need to. They need to have a serious conversation on the left as to whether or not they really want to do this. Because. Well, wait remember, a minute. Remember, Scott, they're already in the soup on Biden. And now you're going to do Fetterman. And basically what you're then saying as a party is we care about political power so much. There is no envelope that we won't push in order to get it. We will send up we'll send up somebody who's comatose. We'll send up somebody who died five years ago. We'll send up, you know, a, a body part. We'll send up somebody. <laughs> dog. We don't care. So long as it's got a D by its name. We'll, we'll run a sex doll. We don't care. We'll run anything and you have to vote for it. And if you don't, it doesn't matter because we'll get dead people to vote for it and we'll put it out anyway. And so okay, wait point. a minute. Wait just a second. So I agree with you, but they've already done this and succeeded with Biden. I, and the thing I know, is, but, it's that, an but what I'm saying is that's why Fetterman might be a bridge too far because no, Fetterman I, makes Joe no Biden look far. like he's coherent. There's no bridge too far. This is, here's the thing. The media has still been defending Fetterman yesterday and today. And, so like Matt, and this is what I'm trying to say to you. Matt Lewis 
You know who he is. Yeah, I know who Matt Lewis is. Okay, so his flowing locks now. Matt, Lu- Matt Lewis was saying that he thinks that Oz came off, and, and did you notice it was Mr. Oz instead of doctor? Oz, He's a, doctor like a Oz. legit doctor. Yeah, he was disrespectful so, to Fetterman, but we'll call him Mr. Oz, and it's like. Right. So, so he's, you know, so Dr. Oz is, is on, is uh mean and a bully, according bully. to Matt. Bully was the word that a bunch of them used. Oh, you have to resort to bullying. It was like, you have to resort to bullying and, and, and invalid. And I'm like, you're running an invalid for the U.S. Senate. Hello. Right. Not right. to mention the fact, and look, if I'm Oz's campaign manager, I start running against the the bisexual illegal Brazilian who who's Fetterman's wife cuz that's who the senator would be if Fetterman wins that race. Yeah. You're really running against yeah. her and saying, mm-hmm. "Hey, mm-hmm. this is somebody who freaking I mean, we're talking about the border is an issue. This is an illegal alien." Okay? Right. Who who because she hooked up with fetterman and Mm -hmm. somehow he was connected like she got legitimized by this guy and now they want to make her a u.s senator without your vote well biden was all pictures with her and called her the future senator right remember he said that you're going to make a great lady of the senate and everybody should have been like wait what what are you talking about right the big the big tall you know lumpy looking guy is the candidate not her oh no she's the candidate like that's the this is this is the thing and they've already started oh giselle fetterman is oh she's you know she's pretty and she's smart and and it's like she's an illegal alien right i mean we're all we're all like the whole country is incensed about the invasion of this country and you're going to put an illegal alien into the u.s senate on a ruse that you you're running in a literal empty shell. This guy is 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 brain dead and has spent six months proving it. And because he can't do the job, we're now going to get an illegal alien. I mean, you're right. There is no limit to how far the Democrats will go. They have proven that 100. percent But even so, I mean, like, are the, the here's the, the question risk is here is is incredible because the other thing like the, like and i keep coming back to this is the criticism of john fetterman is now you're an ableist and i've never heard like i mean they have all of these different you know things that you know racist sexist islamophobe homophobe transphobe and all this kind of stuff and now they're going to start calling people ableist <laughs> And the sin that you're committing that makes you that is that you want people to be able to do a job that you're going to hire them for. In other words, what the Democrats are really saying is that quality, quality, competence, excellence is somehow sinful and oppressive and like to me, I, you talk about I mean, the, the you know go out too far over your skis, is that because absolutely nobody agrees with that position. Democrats don't agree with that position. Okay, I mean you, you, they're not going to hire somebody who sucks at a job 
because of, you know, whatever. Like, they may do this from a political standpoint. They may talk about it. But it's like, hey, are you going to hire a housekeeper who can't run a vacuum cleaner? No, of course not. Well, okay, no, but they they won't do it maybe personally, Scott, know, but, but they will certainly do it professionally. Well, with somebody else's money, they'll do it, okay? But right. when they won't do it on their own, it's just like, at some point, you can't sell that. And so, you know, and I, I'm telling I, you, I, I, the, I'm, well, I get it. Your I get optimism it. is actually, you know, helping me a little bit. I feel that th this is the question. I think this race kind of lays bare the true question about America. Are we now just tribal where we don't care if it is a sack of flour, uh, you know, a bushel of turnips running for office, um, you know, a brain dead vegetable, or do we care about actual policies and things and a person who can make those things happen or do we look at just a rubber stamp for the powers that be and really the democrats at this point are so like uh they, they are the man it's the hilarious thing is is that you know the boomers have become the man and that you know they're always fighting the power and resisting and stuff. And it's like, dude, who are you resisting? You are the power. Oh, yeah. And so now it's just power for power's sake and our side versus your side. And oh, yeah. I, I I think that this case, it, it's what happened in the national election with Biden. Although you know, I still think you take out all the whatever votes and Trump probably wins. Um, and that's herat heretical, you know, but speaking of Carrie Lake, the way she is, um, messaging about that is just so fantastic. Every, everything Carrie Lake says needs to go in a textbook and yes. you're going to run for office as a Republican, then, you know, you have to pass the, the Carrie Lake test, right? Yeah. Like know everything that's well, like, like, like a little red book that you like, almost like Carrie Mao, right. like you have to, right. <laughs> and if you can, if you can't, you know, emulate things that Carrie Lake says and and you know the list of rules that you can derive from her like first of all never accept the premise of the question right which For is one. the number one thing she's so good at um yeah no I'm, I'm with you 100% on that let me back up for one second and make something clear all right um when I'm saying the Democrats can't possibly go this far, it's not that I think anybody on the Democrat side is going to have like a moral objection to foisting John Fetterman <laughs> on the public. Like, please don't think that I'm that naive. OK, that what, what I'm saying is somebody over there might decide to put the brakes on, not because they think it's wrong. They don't think anything is wrong. Um, like, literally, they don't think anything is wrong. But they may get to the point where, like, you know, if we do this, the blowback might bite us in 24 and one Senate seat in Pennsylvania that probably doesn't give us a majority anyway isn't really worth what we're risking for it. And if a lot of these other races, if, you know, the polls continue to sort of move as they're moving, um, Kurt Schlichter had a fantastic uh, column, I guess it was yesterday uh, or Monday, rather, uh, at Town Hall. And he's talking about the sort of the anatomy of a route and like the way, you know, battles work is, 
you know, one side, like the line breaks and everybody starts retreating. And that's when the other guys sweep in with the cavalry. <laughs> like that's like that's when the casualties start mounting because everybody's running away. And here come these guys on horseback or whatever, just slashing away. He's like, this is what you're about to start to see on the Democrat side. And I, I think he's right in that. I don't know that Pennsylvania is necessarily a part of that, but it could be. Um if what happened last night really resonates with average voters in that state and the independents kind of all swing one way, which to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know how independent voters in, in Pennsylvania don't go to Oz at this point, because I mean, really, how can you vote for that? And, and what we've been talking about, like they're actively foisting this on you uh, with a guy who makes, can't even make complete sentences as opposed to Oz, who you may not like, but at least he's sentient, right? And independent voters tend to be really, really big on things like competence. And I mean, you can't get a bigger spread between these between candidates than than this. And and you know, you had the TV stations all did their snap polls, and one of them, I think, Oz was seventy seven twenty three that he won the debate. One of them was eighty three seventeen. The other one was eighty two to eighteen. I mean, I've never seen anything like that as a snap poll after debate. Um, so, you know, like, I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to say Oz will win, but okay. I'm not, I'm like, I am not, I wouldn't bet the house on that because I have very little faith in Pennsylvania. I mean, I'm from Louisiana. We do crooked politics as well as anybody, but I look at Pennsylvania and go, hats off to you guys. Damn. <laughs> um, so, I mean, like, like I get it, but you know, this is, I mean, this is the heaviest lift in American political history that we're, what we're watching in Pennsylvania right now with, with John, I mean, there has never been a candidate that was as manifestly unfit for a major political job as, um, as Fetterman, other than maybe, I guess, Mel Carnahan, who was literally dead. <laughs> and, and okay. So what do you want to put on this wager? I want to put something I don't know. I don't like, want to bet on. I don't want to bet on freaking politics because that just like that. All that does is make things worse when you lose. <laughs> I mean, well, put it this way: the stakes are high enough. I mean, if, if we have six years of of Giselle, the bisexual illegal Fetterman, um, as as a U.S. senator that nobody voted for, um, I mean, actually, it won't be six years because they'll do a special, and who knows what'll happen then. But um, you know, any period of time that you have to put up with that, I think is a, that's a, that's enough stakes, but you know, I, I'm open to offers. We'll listen. But. Well, I, all I know is that like back in the day when, uh, of, you know, Obamacare was going through and the Republicans in DC were like, there's no way this is going to happen. No way that this is. And I was like, yes, there is a way. Oh, I knew that yes, was gonna happen. Yeah. But the DC Republicans were absolutely convinced that, that, and I'm like, the minute you let, let that abomination out of uh, committee, it's going to be, it's as good as law. And everybody was like, that's just not, you know. And so I kind of feel like a, you know, I'm always like the Debbie Downer. Um, but in yeah. this race, I feel like, mm, but let's move on from that race, since you don't want to wager anything, which I understand, <laughs> um, to Hochul in uh, New York. Ooh, that was a, 
That and was Zeldin. Zeldin is Hope kind of again. a soft-spoken guy, and he got some zingers in. Yeah, he did. I mean, well, and the thing was, is he flustered her, and she did this whole thing where she's like, well, I don't know why you're so worked up about trying to lock criminals up, and I could just see everybody in New York was like, wow. What? <laughs> exactly. I was wow. sitting there going- I didn't know like, this lady was that bad, right? I, well, my thought was, like, I love New York City, right? Like- I, I love it. Now, there's some people who are like, uh, but I really do. And it wasn't that long ago. I went to New York with uh, my daughter. She played uh, this little flex, but she played at Carnegie Hall with her orchestra when, you know, in high school. So this was like six years, six years ago, five years ago. The city was we were up until one o'clock running around the city. Everybody was safe. I didn't feel worried at all about my teenage daughter running around Manhattan. Um, and well, that and, was before de Blasio got full hold of the place. Yes. And so like, it's difficult for people who haven't been there or who don't uh, really care for the city just as a principal thing or whatever um, to understand like how quickly and how totally it has become a mess. Sure. And so like, I have my really, really good friends up in New York, their kids all live in the city and they, they, uh, have an, um, Asian daughter and that they adopted and she's just not safe anywhere anymore. And, and for that to be the case, like it was not that way just a couple of years ago. It's right. so dramatic yeah. and well, I mean, you know, you're back to the to the to the 70s in New York, you know, yeah. like, you know, and, and the thing was, is from whenever 1976 to 1982, maybe or so like the the number one like cultural piece that defined New York City was taxi driver. Right. right. I mean, like, that's what everybody like. Yeah. yeah, this is what New. I mean, that's why that movie was a hit was because it accurately described what New York City was in the mm -hmm. late 70s and like very early 80s. The other movie that described it was Warriors. Right. Mm -hmm. Where like you had all the different gangs in New York. They're like, hey, we own this place. It's all our turf. And everybody in New York City was like, yeah, that's pretty much what this city has become. And then, you know, it went away a little and then it got bad when Dinkins was the mayor and then Giuliani came along and all of a sudden it was the most well-run, prosperous, you know, yeah. really middle-class city in yeah. the world. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I mean, all the way from, you know, the cops to the, the you know, subway car conductors, like everybody was like, was a, a city of people that had dreams and were striving and whatever. And that's all gone. Because yeah. you're on your second straight mayor in New York City who is 100% clueless about how to make a place work. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this, the, the only way to fix a dysfunctional city is to have a functional state government that can step mm -hmm. in. And I think that is what people in New York are looking at. Like, we can't fix New York City right now. So this governor's race is important. Yeah. And Zeldin is the first Republican in a while who actually has some energy to him and some I, I hate to say the word balls but he has some balls like this guy will actually come up and smack you in the face and the campaign has been such that he's if he didn't have that before he had to learn it because they sent people to rough him up somebody yeah. tried to stab him to death on stage and yeah. got let out on bail yeah i mean if, if you weren't like 
If, mm. if, if Lee Zeldin was one of these sort of submissive, stupid party Republicans before, and I don't think he was, but if he was that, he would have yeah. learned not to be. In other words, right. maybe somebody needed to try to stab Mitt Romney to death and wake his ass up. But the point <laughs> was, like, so he gets to this debate, and it's the only debate that Kathy Hochul will let him have. And he's like, I'm going to tear her apart. And he did. And yeah. she's and she is so mediocre. I mean, she's oh, yeah. so bad. Yeah. You know, like they brought up the questions like, hey, the state Supreme Court, which is nothing but Democrats, basically just said you're completely out of line firing all the people who didn't want to take the jab. She's like, oh, I'd do that again. And I'm sitting there going, I don't know how you can win this. Which, when she said that, I was like, what? Now, she'll have a lot of people in New York City, ironically enough, be like, yeah. Who are like we're gonna vote for her anyway. That's right. Well, that's you know, and, and yeah. the the rule supposedly is that if you're a Republican running for governor of New York, you have to get better than I think it's 30% of the vote in the city. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was a poll Friday, I can't remember who did it, but the poll Friday, and they polled the city in the mm -hmm. governor's race. He's at 37. Woo. So I mean, if that holds up and that's like a real thing, I think he's going to win because he definitely will get a bump out of that debate. Boy, this state let me, let me, can, I, can I just pop out to 30,000 feet and say something? Yeah. And I'm going to do my, uh, you know, anti-Mitch McConnell thing real quick. And Zeldin and Hochul is kind of beside the point on this. But, yeah. um, you know, I saw Herschel Walker. I saw Oz and Fetterman. I saw Blake Masters. Right. I saw J.D. Vance. Mm -hmm. um, and I go back to Mitch McConnell when he did this whole thing. Well, you know, the House is easier than the Senate, blah, blah, blah. He's candidate quality matters. Like he's going to crap on his own candidates as a, an excuse not to actually support these guys with the money that they needed. Well, how's that holding up, Morphine Mitch? Here you are, you crapping all over your own party's candidates yeah. and the Democrats don't, the Democrats are running Warnock and Fetterman and Tim Ryan and like a host of losers that right. nobody in their right mind would vote for. And to listen to them talk, it's the founding fathers they're putting out there on the table. Yeah. And this okay. clown who is 80 years old, who has zero business running a major party and is the biggest drag on the GOP's electoral fortunes for 30 years, this guy, since 1984, he's been in the Senate. Since 2007, he's been the, the party's leader in the Senate. And we underperform over and over and over. Every two years, we get 33, 35 Senate seats or whatever it is that we have to you know, go out and win these elections. And we always fall five seats short. And it's always the conservatives that can't win because they're always getting torpedoed by Mitch McConnell. And for that guy to run his mouth and talk about how bad Republicans candidates are in this right. cycle, when they have all gone out on debates and beaten the stew out of the Democrats that they've been up against. What Blake Masters did to Mark Kelly was savage it was savage he crushed him that whole line about well if that's the best you can do on the border then why don't you resign i've never seen anything from a republican candidate that was that good and i'm going wait did you actually make the case that this guy wasn't a good candidate he's a sensational candidate if he had mark kelly's money right. he'd be beating him by 12 15 points it would be like rubio and val demings down in florida with a blowout right. you have held this down now we find out that he's throwing money at, at Murkowski, that the people of Alaska for 18 years now have been 
get it off, get it off. We're done with this lady. We don't want any part of her. And they keep imposing her on the people of Alaska. And at some point, Alaska is going to go Democrat because they hate Republicans in D.C. so much. And that will be Mitch McConnell's fault yep. because he keeps every six years. He keeps doing this and nobody will stop him from doing it. The Do you know why? Alaska, what's that? I mean, I think it's time that we talk about why. Because we know why he's crooked and it's all about, you know, what what mm. corporate America and China and all the rest of the stuff that Mitch McConnell is is. Uh, is tied in with it's what they want it's not what the american people want and it's certainly not what republican voters want right I, do you remember when the tea party was a thing in two, 2010 and you had all these guys come in and was like well what are you going to do because these tea party republicans are nothing like you mitch he said, oh well we'll just co-op i mean he said it he didn't really like, oh, no, i'm just you know you're in my world now and i'm just gonna i'm gonna tell you what's what and i'm going Okay, I mean, maybe I, I understand, like maybe some of these people don't know how things work or whatever. And it's 12 years later and nothing has changed with him. And why are we, why do we continue to put up with this? 85, 90% of the Republican party has moved on from losers like Mitch McConnell. And, and the one thing that tells them, well, but if it wasn't for Mitch McConnell, Merrick Garland would be on the Supreme Court. As though he did us a favor by not having hearings on that. What do you think if Chuck Schumer was the was the head of the Republican Party and the, and the thing was was reversed? Do you think that Merrick Garland would have gotten a hearing from Chuck Schumer? Of course not. Nobody in their right mind who's running a Senate caucus that's in the majority is going to is going to let their like icon Scalia get replaced by somebody from the other side. Not when there's an election a year away and they got a pretty good chance of winning it. If you lose the election, there's nothing you can do. But if you win that election, you're going to get somebody just like a Scalia in there. And you're really, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to do this. And supposedly, like, I'm supposed to be grateful that Mitch McConnell did his freaking job one time, right, that runs the caucus while I'm watching Harry Reid and now Schumer and these guys operate as the partisan freaking hack champions that you're supposed to be as, the, as your caucus leader in the Senate. And all of a sudden, like Mitch McConnell does it one time, and then he goes back to being subservient and submissive to the Democrats for the next, whatever it is, six years now. And I'm supposed to think that, oh, well, yeah, but Mitch McConnell is a genius when it comes to legislative process. Really? Yeah, but I the mean, thing is, it serves him. The, 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 there's a yes. sense, not only is he corrupt, but the, the, this is a self-serving thing. Because yeah. if the right wing of the GOP gets too much power, as you've pointed out, then, then his kind of big government, he doesn't control DC anymore. Exactly. And, and, and right now, Mitch McConnell, either in the slight minority or the slight majority runs DC. And that's the way he wants it. It's personal for him. And so for him not to like, to talk down these good candidates. And if you'll recall, he supported Charlie Crist against Marco Rubio yes, in Florida. Did. Yes, his over and over again who's a democrat or an independent where is he now but he's, he's a democrat a, yeah another and guy so, who got murdered in a debate this week yeah exactly and then we have mitt romney who is also part of this cabal of uh quasi democrats running things and he's doing dirty shit in utah yeah absolutely. And, I don't, it's not gonna work but i mean and it's so stupid this is the other thing these guys are not smart. They're stupid. 
Well, like, it's, uh, how, 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 the thing is, he's the stupidest politician I've ever seen. Egg McMuffin's not going to win that race. Well, he's I got, hope not. Like, there's nothing but downside for Mitt Romney not to line up behind Mike Lee. There's, uh, there's nothing but downside. Mitt Romney's got zero chance in Utah in 2024 as a result of what he's done. Zero chance. And and the thing is, there will now be national money flowing into Utah in a major way to knock Mitt Romney out. Because yeah. if, I mean, if Trump is the nominee, Romney's on the ballot too, Trump will freaking, I mean, he will, he will put 10, 20, 50 million dollars into the Republican primary in Utah to get rid of Mitt Romney. And Mike Lee's kind in. of a legend. He's a legend with the Mormon people there, though, Scott. I don't know yeah, about that. Well, I mean, that may last for a while, but I mean, look, legends behave badly and get turned out. That happens. Yeah. You know, I mean, sooner or later, people go, What have you done for me lately? And you're done. And yeah. And you know, there's no there's no upside here. I mean. This guy McMullen. There is an upside. There's power from Mitt Romney for Mitch McConnell, for Lindsey Graham, if there's just a slight GOP majority. I agree with that. If it's if Mitch McConnell desperately wants and all of his like true believer acolytes, the Murkowskis and I wouldn't put Graham in that. Because Lindsey Graham blows with the wind. I mean, Lindsey Graham went, uh, you know, he went from being John McCain's mini-me to being like little MAGA Lindsey for four years when Trump was there. I mean, whichever way he thinks the wind's blowing, that's where little Lindsey's going to be. So I I don't know if I would put that. But the Romneys and the Murkowskis and like the Bill Cassidy stupid party crowd, Mm -hmm. yeah, you're right. What those guys want so badly, and you can see Mitch McConnell making moves to try to get it, is a 51-49 GOP majority. That's like the perfect number for Mitch McConnell, because at 51, he's got 26, maybe 27 votes within the caucus, which is enough to control it. And he's got, you know, enough of a thing where he's like, well, I can't get a majority for this piece of legislation that all of my voters want, because Susan Collins and Lisa won't go for it. So I don't know what to tell you. And it's like, yeah, you have carried this ruse on since 2007. But it's, it's worked really well. Well, it's I get worked. it. But at some point, your jokes aren't funny anymore. And I, I mean, like, we're past that point with your average Republican vote. Okay, wait thing- a minute. So let's go. To, so like, uh, Ron Johnson, my favorite win of this cycle is going to be Ron Johnson. Yeah. In Wisconsin. Bless that man. I love him. And he is a thorn in the flesh of everyone in D.C. because he's about one of the only businessmen who actually knows what their stupid rules and regulations are doing to businesses. So I love him. He's going back. Hallelujah. Praise be. But looking through the other Senate races. So you think Mike Lee is an absolute win? Yeah, he's going to win. Okay, he may win by five points or something, but he's going to win. Okay, so he's going to win. Um, I'm in with Vance. I think Vance is. I Vance, think Vance is, is going to win. Um, so Trafalgar had a poll out today. Herschel's up two, mm. which is good. And I mean that may be a runoff before he wins because the Libertarian may keep Herschel under fifty. But if look, if the Republicans already have a majority and then they do a runoff in January, I doubt they put a lot of money behind Warnock at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so, you know, and, and if you're an average voter in Georgia, you really like to have at least one senator who's in the majority yeah. right, for pork purposes and everything else. So I think that's a big advantage for Herschel. Um, so I, I feel pretty good about him. Ted Budd's going to win. Um, what, what about else? Masters, do you think? I, I mean, mm. you know, Peter Thiel apparently just threw him a million bucks or two million bucks. Which I, the, the, you know, the trouble is, is that I think he's a great candidate. Uh, Mark Kelly's kind of one of those affable guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's just kind of likable. But that debate was bad. It was. It was but and how the many thing about have... it is, Arizona, I mean, like Arizona has very definable, serious problems yeah. that are yeah. directly traced to federal policy. Mostly, yeah. mostly with, in terms of the border yeah. and then you have you know, the fentanyl issue and, and the, the crime issue. I mean, like, yeah, so I, like this is this is the kind of cycle where you're going to get and the voters in Arizona are pissed. And mm -hmm. I mean, along comes Carrie Lake to sort of redefine the Republican mm -hmm. Party. Yeah, and she's going to have coattails because she's going to. I, I hope so. She's fantastic. Arizona. Yes. So I like and I've always felt like. And I, you know, and I, and I know people that have been kind of on the involved over there that have, the like master's campaign is bad and blah, 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 but he's, he's within, you know, two or three. Um, and, you know, there's finally a little bit of late money that's getting into that race. That's yeah. getting on the airwaves to counter some of the you know, attack ads that they've had. And, and I just, I just think events are going to carry him. I mean, and that's going to be one that'll probably be, you know, an all night long deal and both sides are going to, you know, well, you're going to have to overcome about, Maricopa County again. Yeah. I mean, I like it, you know, there, there's challenges there. I'm not saying there aren't, yeah. um, but I mean, you can't deny the momentum is with masters and the race is close enough that momentum will play a factor in it. Um, okay. You know, so let's move to Florida, Miami Dade it, it going Republican. That's been kind of yeah, not Hialeah apparently because they beat you up if you're wearing a Rubio t-shirt in Hialeah, Florida. Yeah. Um, and then the Daily Mail comes out this morning and says, oh, but that guy was in Charlottesville with a tiki torch. And I'm going, he's a he's a Latino guy. He's a neo-Nazi, uh, uh, Cuban neo-Nazi. Like, OK. I mean, like, why did you, the guy got beat half to death and the Daily Mail is going to have, oh, but he's a neo-Nazi. Like, what, so wait, he deserves to get beat up? Like, what, what's the point of this article? It's weird. I mean, The Guardian, I can understand doing that piece, but the Daily Mail did it. It's nuts. There's a there's a um, I think one of the TV stations in Jacksonville just came out with polls on both uh, DeSantis and Christ and uh, Rubio and Demings. And I want to say it's 54, 43 for Rubio. So he's that's 12, which that race is over. Yeah, DeSantis yeah. is 55, 41. <laughs> gorgeous, gorgeous. <laughs> Um, you know, and I mean, that, that basically is a function of that debate, which was so bad. I mean, I don't know if you saw the, the part. I didn't where, see it. Oh, you got to go look it up because Chris goes, he's like, you need to guarantee that you're not running in 2024. You need to guarantee that you're going to serve a full term as governor of Florida or whatever. And DeSantis's response is, look, he goes, I know you want to talk about Joe Biden. Where he's, Let me just tell you, he goes, the only uh, he goes, the only broke down donkey that I'm talking about putting to pasture is you. <laughs> it was great. I mean, it was like absolutely the whole audience just, you know, everybody started cheering and laughing and whatever. I mean, it was, it was a total just own moment um, that, that he did. And, you know, a couple of days later, this poll comes out. Now he's up 14 points. 
So, you know, and that was, I mean, they have, that, that has been a fake it till you make it thing for Chris's campaign this whole time. And yeah. it was never plausible. It was never going to work. It's uh, the same as in, in Texas with Beto and, yeah, right. I mean, right. and, and I had some people I, at one point, cause I was seeing these weird headlines and stuff. And, and I was like, what is going on here? And Nothing. And one of, I don't know if I, I uh, 538 had an article about how at state level races, especially house races, there have been so few polls like in right. comparison. And, and there's like just half been the number of polls this this time than there yeah. were, I think, in 2018. Yeah. And so like but the polling has also it's always weird in Texas and it's always wrong. Right. And so like but the internal polling, uh, because one of the main you know, political consultants here, he runs kind of, you know, a lot of elections and knows the state cold and their internal polling is always solid. Um, and I saw some weird thing, 538 was saying, well, you know, the internal polling um, for Republicans and Democrats tends to help their candidate. And I'm like, not if it's any good. Right. No candidate who who has polling wants to have you know sunshine blown up their rear they want to know the truth because they want to know what they have to do so that was kind of a weird statement by him and well, i was like i mean there well they're put well there are democrat pollsters that exist oh yeah ppp PPP and anzalone like yeah you hire those guys when you're a red state democrat who knows you're going to lose and the entire campaign is a grift okay yeah. And you hire, like, Anzalone goes and runs a poll. Look, our guy's only down four. Give us right. all your money and he can win, right? And right. Like, it's always right. a scam. And the left-wing yeah. donors fall for it all the time. Like, this has been going on for, God, ever ever since the South turned uh, red, <laughs> this, there's this right. whole cottage industry of these scam pollsters that the Democrats uh, go and do. And, of course, naturally, the way it works is, the media then turns around and legitimizes these guys and they put them on CNN and MSNBC. And like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is this is going to be a really good cycle for the Democrats. And so-and-so is going to beat, right. you know, whoever Republican is like unbeatable in such a state. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, our polling shows he's all the way down in the low 40s. And it's like, yeah, okay. And then, you know, the guy wins 55 to 42. With the, right. You know, and it's, it's always a joke. Um, and, you know, if you don't live in like a southern red state, you may not really see it. But like we see it in every cycle. Right. right. I mean, it happens all the time. All the it's, time. A, it's a that gag has whiskers on it. It's an old scam <laughs> that running over and over again. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, I wonder if that's not kind of going national when you have some of these other states yeah. like in the Midwest or whatever that are also going red. Yeah. And like more and more of Democrat politics than just, I mean, it's nothing but a fleece job on right. dumb left-wing billionaires and like, you know, geek big tech guys who have more money than sense. And you can just go take their money because they're just giving it away on right. stupid stuff. Um, and, you know, like, I, and I had this as in my book, we talked about it, um, that Democrat operatives are starting to realize that the left-wing foundations that undergird so much, particularly mm -hmm. urban politics in America, these Soros and Ford mm -hmm. Foundation and Kellogg Foundation, mm -hmm. people, like, you know, they, they fund them, they're all about social change. So they fund these, these grifter organizations in these cities that are just hardcore Marxists. 
And they're turning the Democrat Party into something that is like unrecognizable for like the old school, like Union Democrat people, whatever. Un-American. Oh, absolutely. And but so yeah. the deal is, is like the, the operatives of what, you know, James Carville being kind of an example is like, mm. guys, this is like this is a bridge too far. We can't. And, you know, and so um, I can't remember who it was. It's like New York Times did the article. And I think it was Thomas Edsel maybe was the guy that wrote it. And like goes to talk to the foundations like, hey, um, do you think you're doing more harm than good to the cause by, you know, forcing the party into this, like this weird little box where people like Lori Lightfoot get elected. Um, and I think the guy's name was Darren Walker, who's the head of the Ford Foundation. He's like, well, our job is not, has nothing to do with yeah. partisan politics. We're about social change. And, we're, and it's like, mm -hmm. okay, and y'all are the money. So everybody's going to do what you say. Um, but mm -hmm. you're killing the Democrat party with this. Like you're killing it because it's, it's so far from from mainstream America that, you know, like you might be irrelevant other than, you know, these little cities. And you see that every time, every two years, there's a congressional, you do the congressional map or, um, or the county by county map particularly. And it's a sea of red with like little specks of blue in it. Um, you know, and I mean, those specks of blue have like high density population. And right. so it's a thing, but. Okay. Uh, so like, uh, did you, to, speaking of the weird little box that the Democrats are in, did you see the Biden interview with the transgender dude who is like what? day 200 of being a woman? And it's like, I have thought that this guy is a complete parody. Like he's right. Well, like, like the, uh, he's, what's like, the, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, Tatiana, um, yeah, oh God, McGrath. Guy, which is so fun. Yeah. Tati yeah. Tatiana McGrath. And like, just makes these like completely outlandish crazy arguments that actually are sound actually, like they're for real except that you know they're not but they sound right. exactly like the crap the freaking people that right. are actually and i like i thought that this was that like when i first i was like oh well i'm not sure God, that it's that, not still i was like is this guy a comedian who is trying to troll like everybody because it's the weirdest thing but melissa gets to the White House. I know. Can you imagine, oh my God, can you imagine if six months from now, they're talking, oh, let's give you a show on TV or whatever. It's like, by the way, my name's Tom. And this was all a big scamp. Can you imagine? I'm, 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 I'm waiting has for no that to happen. To get that far with the gag and then go? Well, the thing is, because he's like, there was one video of this dude, like flouncing around with high heels in a meadow and like flicking his hair. As if, I was like, and all the women are going, there's no woman who's who does this, you know, what, what, what is he doing? And, and so like, I've been like, so I've been like really cautious about this guy. Cause I'm I like, see, I, I see, think he might be a comedian. I see women really offended by this. I mean, like, oh, yeah. really, if it like you have totally trivialized my femininity and the whole like, I mean, right, really well, getting mad, which I actually think is fantastic because it's about right. freaking time. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like th like this one. And I don't know why this one and not some of the ones that have come before, but like this right. one um, has really sparked a backlash. Well, uh, the, the thing is, is because it feels so like 
stage crafted and put on. That's why I've been like, before I get all outraged about this weird dude, I'm pretty sure that this, I think he's trolling everybody. I think well, this I mean, well, and we already know that it happens because you had the shop teacher in Canada that got like the giant boobs and yeah. it turned out that that guy was actually based and like they, they had, Oh, did it? Is from, that true? Oh, yeah, yeah. They had written him up for all kinds of like, you know, um, whatever microaggressions that he'd committed and everything. And he was like, okay, fine. So he puts on the big boobs and a dress and he comes in and he says, guess you can't fire me now. And like the parents got all outraged and the kids were like, no, 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 mom, this is awesome. Right. So ultimately that guy's going to get some giant payday out of the deal. Uh, um, so I this is already I like becoming a thing. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, it, it, it wouldn't surprise me if this what is his name mm -hmm. dylan something I, I don't know it wouldn't surprise me if this is actually a, a troll job because the one thing you're seeing more and more and more is that the right is really getting good at the trolling yeah like now's when we talk about alex stein going to penn state which was i wasn't that crazy about the big blue booty latina thing with aoc like right. i wasn't yeah. that nuts about it like i, I appreciated the effort but i was like but he goes to Penn State <laughs> and this chick Hoxel looking on him. And it's, I mean, anybody else would have just completely decked her and then said, Oh, I'm sorry. Right. And he's like, She spit on me. <laughs> this whole thing and like made a giant joke out of it while all these people were just turning animalistic and screaming F bombs out of the whole. And it was like, Oh my God, what, like, there is no more complete victory in American culture in the last 20 years than what Alex Stein did when he went to Penn State. Because mm -hmm. he exposed, like, how can you call this an institution of higher learning when this is what you have? This right. is a rabble. This is the, like, this is the scum of the earth and, yeah. like, can't conduct themselves with any sort of decorum whatsoever. And he didn't do anything to spark it. Like he goes in there and he's like kind of ridiculing him. And they went completely ballistic, completely mm -hmm. ballistic. She spat on him. And the faces she was making at him before she spit on him were like something out of the exorcist. Yeah. It was yeah. nuts. It's like, holy cow. And the thing was, is like she was just the one at the front of the camera. They were all like that. And there were hundreds right. of them. Yeah. Um, you know, and so now we can actually have the conversations like that's Penn State University. That's not, you know, uh, Oberlin. I mean, you know, right. that's not Evergreen State. This is a big, giant, major state flagship university. OK, yeah. that the, the president gets paid one point three million dollars a year. What do they get? Fifty thousand students there. OK, like and I know most of the students at Penn State don't act like that. Right. I get it. But for that to happen on that campus at all, mm -hmm. in 1968, didn't look like that, okay? Right. Um, and you really have to like, okay, can we now have the conversation about how much this is costing us, not just in money, but in culture and in everything else, to have our institutions this corrupted that this is actually a thing? And you know what Stein's going to do? He's going to go to some other campus and have the same thing, uh, the same thing happen. And- Okay, and I'll, I'll, I'll put this out there just to kind of support the point. Uh, a couple of nights ago at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette, which is 45 minutes away from where I am, Jack Posobiec 
spoke at a turning point thing. And so, you know, decided to go ahead and go. And it was, you know, the whole room was, everybody's friendly. It was terrific, whatever. Got to meet him. He's a super guy, all this kind of stuff. Um, and of course, the way Turning Point does it is, hey, if you're a left winger, if you disagree, then come up to the front of the line and let's, you know, let's talk, right? Well, they didn't want to do that. And there weren't that many of them, but there were like eight or 10 protesters outside of, not outside of the, of the hall. They were outside of the building. Um, and they're all holding signs saying no neo-Nazis. Uh, at ULL and it's like and and I you know and I saw those things going in and I was like all right whatever and you know listen to Posobiec and we sat there with every point he made I'm like better than 50 percent of the American people believe that better than 50 percent of the American people believe that maybe 50 percent of the American people believe this better than 50 percent of the people in Louisiana believe right it was like boom mm-hmm. boom 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 everything he said you, if you took a poll of the state of Louisiana and of America uh, as a whole, you're going to get more yeses than nos on what Pasovic said, right? He's a neo-Nazi. He's an extremist. And I'm like, wow. I mean, like, wow. And they won't even come in the building. He got one question from this, this little girl who said, I hate driving on I-10 and I think it'd be great if nobody had cars anymore. And, everybody <laughs> was like, and then, you know, some... Some uh, Cajun guy kind of yells from the back. He's like, what you going to do when the hurricane comes, darling? And everybody started laughing, and she just kind of scurried away, and then that was the end of that. <laughs> um, but, but, I mean, so, uh, you know, you have to wonder if these colleges are going to turn out animals like that while at the same time treating conservatives the way they, they, they treat them. And you're about to, real clear politics is, is, is now projecting there are going to be 31 Republican governors and 19 Democrat governors after the midterms are over. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I think the, the houses of the legislatures are going to look similar. It's going to be more than 30 states that have Republican legislatures. Mm-hmm. All right. So one of the things over the next couple of years that you're going to start to see is Red state legislators with a red state governor in tow are going to say, okay, how much of this are we going to pay for? Like, because it's, it's time to take the fuller brush and go scrub down these universities uh, because we're paying for things that are rotting out American culture with our tax dollars. And we don't want to do it anymore. The old school Mitt Romney, stupid party Republicans we're like, no, 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 throw more money at them because it's mm-hmm. going to make, you know, upper middle class white collar Republican voters, right? The the Ron DeSantis, you know, MAGA revivalist, you know, Trump Republican Party, I think is a little different. And that's who's getting elected to the legislatures yeah. across the country. And those guys are sick and tired of the obnoxious left wing professor who's all over mm-hmm. Twitter, you know, sliming every, you know, every member of the of the you know Republican Party day in and day out and they're sick and tired of it because even if they don't want to pay attention to that guy their constituents are like what are you going to do about this guy and eventually it's enough of an irritant that they're like yeah okay i gotta do something or their own kids tell them all about how awful it is on that campus well don't Um, i can't i think that what we're seeing is a further kind of divide you know they talk about red and blue american it used to be kind of mixed but as the the, i think COVID has caused kind of a, a great sort and so oh, people yeah. are, are moving to where they feel. And if they haven't, they're even in, you know, blue states, people have been so appalled with education that a lot of school boards at the real basic level yeah. 
have been turned over to conservative people because they're like enough of this. Yeah. I mean, Virginia's Virginia's, I mean, we saw it all play out last year in Virginia and it's, and it's still playing out over there. So sure. Absolutely. So you brought up Satan, which makes me think of a good time to talk about Armageddon. And, and we should close out the podcast talking about that since that was what we were supposed to talk about today. Yeah. Um, but I am still alarmed. Like it hasn't waned. Like I, I've been thinking this week, are we just going to pretend that we haven't all been casually talking about Armageddon and that uh, Biden has been talking about this and we have media people. And one of the things I was wondering back to the horrible millennial journalists that we have is, you know, I grew up with nuclear drills. I don't know if you did. Yeah, absolutely. But I sat under a table, which was now in retrospect, the the face mask of the 70s and 80s was the desk and the book, you know, the big heavy book you'd put over your head after this. And uh, we did have bomb shelters, though, like uh, in some of the schools that I went to, there were actual and we would be walked down into the bomb shelter. But which is something I don't think that the millennials ever experienced, because at the kind of the end of my schooling, that was um, uh, I think it ended before even my younger brother um, went through school. But so you have the millennials who didn't really experience that. And and didn't see like the Berlin Wall fall, didn't understand communism, didn't understand what life was like in the miserable Carter years because they weren't even you know born yet. And then to see kind of the dawning of a new age under Reagan and and a new age in the world with communism falling everywhere. I think that there's a lot of people who are in positions of power within this administration who are in positions in power of the media, who have no idea at all what they're talking about. And and then you have the boomers who are, is frozen in time in a way and look at Russia in the with the same eyes and look at Europe with the same eyes as a post-World War II generation. And we're not there anymore. We have issues. It's not Putin's a bad guy. Let's be clear. But the issue we're dealing with is not the fall of the wall, and it is not the um, evil rush, you know, USSR empire anymore. We're dealing with different issues, right. and so like it's kind of this weird. The the Gen X people I talk to universally kind of have this this opinion of like, whoa. Right. And um, and the younger and the older are really flippant about like what this could mean. I think I'm like the boomers. I'm like, it's easy for you to talk about nuclear annihilation. You don't you don't have long left on the earth. But, you know, our children do. And then the millennials are kind of like, oh, well, what's one small dirty bomb? You know, this kind of back and forth. And I'm really kind of concerned about the moral place that we are where I don't think enough people value life enough. Thank you, abortion. And thank you, euthanasia and all that as it's gone on, you know, has grown as a concept. And our culture is so kind of immediate and nihilistic that they're, they're throwing around topics like it's no big deal. Something that should be just inherently like cause revulsion is being talked about casually. 
Am I, am I imagining this or what do you no, think? No, I, I think that, I think that's a very accurate reading of a situation. Um, and I would drill it down to sort of the immediacy of what's happening in Ukraine right now, mm -hmm. uh, that you're getting that same sort of nonchalance. The 101st airborne is yeah. three miles from the Ukrainian border. Yeah. Okay? And, as and I nobody's talking about that. Nobody's, like, no, nobody's talking. Nobody's about talking about that. I was just like, "What?" When I, I saw know. that, and, and and this is how bad it is. So the Romanian defense minister uh, had said, "All right, look, we're part of NATO, blah blah blah." He goes, "But uh, we are opposed to non-defense NATO troops being stationed in our country. We are opposed to this." So yeah. 101st Airborne goes in, the general in charge is like, this is not a training mission, this is a combat mission. Our guys have got to be ready to go in at any time. And the Romanian defense minister resigns, done. So, okay, so these are offensive and it's the 101st Airborne. Their right. job is to fall out of airplanes behind enemy lines and go wreck stuff, okay? Right. So, I mean, this is not, you didn't send, you know, the 4th Inf uh, Infantry Division. Right, You right. sent the 101st Airborne over. All right. So, well, and the other thing is, too, is as a propaganda piece, everybody knows a hundred first airborne. They it's very clear what their job is. And the thing is, it's like so this is very real to me. My son is at this age. Right. My son yeah. is, is that he has three of his very best friends, one at the U.S. Naval C Academy, one at West Point. Uh, one's about to go to the U.S. Uh, um, the Air Force Academy. These are fine young people, patriotic, good people. And I'm sorry, but our country does not deserve them. And my my concern is, is you're you we have someone like Biden who did what he did in Afghanistan, who's utterly careless with the lives of the people who he is presiding over. And, and remember, remember it, we have zero national interest in fighting yeah. a, a real war with Russia over Ukraine. There is no interest that America has. Ukraine has always been within- Joe Russia's Biden interest. has an interest though. Yeah, well, that's exactly. what I was, that's what what I was coming this? to. It's yeah. his laundromat, okay? Yes. And we're gonna, like, we're gonna go expend, we've already spent $80 billion of our money, okay? Um, and now we're gonna, how many thousands of American lives, military and civilian, are we going to put in the lurch for his purposes? Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, is I'm not making an outlandish statement there. Look at what he's done with the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Yeah. Right. The emer that, that's for emergencies. Well, what's an emergency? Joe Biden's approval rating is an emergency. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this is that's our oil. That is like that is our stash. That if if you know if uh, an asteroid strikes the country or we get in a major war and you you know you, you, the whole supply is disrupted that you can actually have something and he spends it he spent it that's half of of what it's supposed to be all right so that he can knock fifty cents a gallon off for yeah. a little while and now we're gonna put the you know the hundred and first in Romania and greatly escalate this thing while the other side will not stop talking about using nuclear weapons. And meanwhile, we have this, this, this freaking circus clown in a green t-shirt in, in uh, Kiev who yeah. is demanding that we nuke freaking Moscow. 
Right. But suppose that we're going to listen to him. And then when Kevin McCarthy says, yeah, I don't know that we want to give a blank check to this guy. Okay. That's provocative. And there's something controversial about that statement. And I'm right. like, you're right. It's bizarre world. Um, mm. You know, and I, I wrote a couple of weeks ago now, I was like, you know, wise American leadership would get to the peace table yeah. quick and, right. and put an end to this. Yeah. We don't have wise American leadership. And the no. amazing thing, like the, like the punchline to this whole piece is that a couple of days ago, well, my camera's getting a little blurry here. A couple of days ago, um, the progressive caucus in the house, like 30 of them go right. They write a letter. Hey, we need to do a piece. We need to uh, you know, get to the peace table on Ukraine because this is getting out of hand. Right. Like that lasted 24 hours and then they rescinded it. Like, hey, don't send us this letter. And you know what that tells me is, hey, something really bad's about to happen. OK, yeah. you don't want to be on, on the wrong side of this. Right. Um, well, the, the, this is the thing. I feel strongly that something bad is about to happen. And I feel strongly that Biden wants to be a war president and that the Democrats are so going to be wiped out that they need something to distract from their failure. And I I wrote this. Oh, yeah, it's a wag the dog scenario 100%, except that it's not with Albania, like in the movie. It's with Russia. Right. Well, so I wrote like six months ago, maybe I'll have to go find it to our newsletter people, which I highly recommend that you subscribe to the American Spectator, by the way, and you get the you get my newsletter for free. You can sign up for it. Um, but I said, what does a country and a world do when they are in debt, when there's no way out economically? because of the absolute asinine things that they've done what is it what do they do how did how did we get out of the great depression how did we and the answer is always war, war. sure absolutely and so when I, I was like we are in a dangerous time we have a very bad leader in biden we have a very frivolous man as president and he's stupid to boot and then we have Putin who feels like he's in the existential fight of his life for his country. He wants Russian culture to remain Russian. He doesn't want to be part of the world hegemony. He doesn't want the WEF to be making rules for his country. He doesn't want drag queen story hour to come to Russia. And our... I mean, he's, he's, he's not... Um... There's a lot of salutary things from the standpoint of the fact that he's a Russian patriot that you're definitely right about. He's also, I mean, you know, he's got the old sort of Russian czar mentality of all of this is mine, right? And and Well, but the thing is, Scott, there's no leader in Russian history who hasn't viewed Russia almost as an extension of himself. I mean, that's sure. very typically Russian. Absolutely. And this and th here's this is the thing that I said in my most recent newsletter, which is we know that Putin's a bad guy, right? He's former KGB. He remembers the, just like we remember the Cold War and the Berlin Wall, wall falling, falling, so does Putin. And it's his formative and most greatest personal shame probably as a, you know, Russian. He has a terrible army. It's utterly corrupt and decrepit. Right. And so that leaves him few choices to defend the honor of his nation. 
And so I sit there and I go, you do not give a cornered rat. He's going to come out by any means necessary. Well, and all he has left is missiles. Right. Because, I mean, he's gotten he's gotten his nose bloodied and broken in Ukraine. And we did it with, you know, and this is, you know, I, I guess it was one of the pieces that I wrote that got like the most traffic in the last month was, mm. look, you need to build, you know, Sun Tzu had the old, you know, build a golden bridge for your enemy to- Right, exactly. It's time to build the bridge. We have accomplished everything. It was way too expensive. Okay, and too much of it was stolen, but that eighty billion dollars actually bought us victory in Ukraine. Okay, mm -hmm. you, there is no deal that you could make over there that wouldn't satisfy America's interests. Now, right. would it satisfy Ukraine's interests? Maybe not. Okay, well, but, but the thing know, is, does who cares? Was, well, also they're not because... NATO. They're not. I mean, they're kind right. of sort of our ally. Right. But, we gave these guys $80 billion. Right. And that's on top of all the other swag that we've given them over the years. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, you know, look, if you can't push the Russians out completely by the time America says, okay, we're done. We're not paying for this anymore. It's time to go to the peace table. That's on you. You got $80 billion. That's more than the Russian defense budget. You got $80 billion to do your deal. Right. right. I mean, we gave you all the military equipment. We've given you all the satellite data. Yeah. Elon Musk gave you Internet throughout this whole thing. Like and, and the situation with Musk is really instructive. Right. Yeah. Because he's out 20 million dollars a month giving them Starlink for free. And he's finally the point of like, hey, I'm done. I've done this for what, eight, nine months. He's like, I'm 200 million dollars in all told right. here. It's time to go to the peace table. And they basically put the guy telling him F off, right? Yeah. And he's like, okay, flips the switch. And it's like, yeah, you just lost Starling. Now you got to pay for it. How do you like them apples? And right. I mean, it's like, at some point you have to realize that when everybody says Ukraine is the most corrupt country in Europe, you right. should pay attention because these are our supposed friends. I mean, yes, the Russians are the bad guys, but the Ukrainians are like the, pretty bad guys okay i mean right. we're not i mean like we're not in a situation this is not you know we're defending winston churchill in great britain and they right. made Zelensky out to be churchill and the guy is a crook and a right. fraud okay right. i mean yes and probably a puppet i of mean of course he is of course you know he is. so like here's this guy and he's um you know doing photo shoots and all this stuff and I, i'm just like no done we are so every every child that i think about and that i look at who might die because of this it infuriates me yeah. there's good blood and there's bad and this would be bad blood and unnecessary blood spilled and unnecessary treasure treasure spilled i'm just like get this over with the, yeah. This has this has like cancer could metastasize. Well, and, and you've done so much damage to Russia's military that they're not an offensive threat anymore. Right. Right. Putin's always like, well, I'm going to call up 300,000 reserves and we're going to go back in. And it's like you sent the frontline troops and they got chewed up. Now right. you send them, you know, con fresh conscripts from, you know, from off the farm. Those guys right. are cannon fodder. Right. Like, you know, I mean, you're not also like, a long Russian tradition, the by the way. What's that? That's also a long Russian tradition. Oh, sure. Absolutely. You know? But it's a little different 
in this day and age than when yeah. you know everybody was running around with muskets and, yeah. and swords where like right you know manpower was actually now you know they roll these guys up in the trucks and the trucks all get blown up by handheld yeah. missiles that we gave the ukrainians that we've had for 30 years sitting in storage right, right. i mean now you've got a veteran defensive army in Ukraine. He's going to be tries to pour those 300,000 people in. They're all going to get killed and right. he's not going to gain anything out of it. So right. from a military standpoint, this is over. Right. It's over. The only question is, how does it escalate? And in every way it escalates, it puts American lives at risk. Right. Not to mention European lives and the lives of all kinds of other folks. Well, and explain to me why one American life should die for this. If they yeah. were part so, of NATO, I would give you that, okay? They're not part of NATO. Right. Right? And and Well, you know, and and Russia has has troops on the Polish border border but have been very careful. Right. So why are we escalating is my question. And are we giving Putin a, a military target so that he doesn't bomb some American city to get us into the war, whatever? I don't know. I don't trust our own gov government yeah, one there, iota. There's zero reason to trust, particularly this administration, especially after the way it traded out uh, our military people and our allies in Afghanistan, okay? Yeah. Uh, there, there should be absolutely no benefit of the doubt of these people whatsoever. And I mean, the worst of it is when you when you really stop it there, nobody got fired for Afghanistan. No, no, these are they all the same no people one. in charge. Yeah, I mean, they like Lloyd Austin, Jake Sullivan, Mark Milley, that whole freaking crowd of morons are yep. all still there. Okay, which you know that was the other thing I have a problem with McCarthy when he says, "Well, I'm not going to do any impeachment." So I'm like, "Oh my god, how do you not impeach Austin and Sullivan?" Day one, run that bill like, OK, everybody, you know, so we're signing everybody in. First thing is we're going to impeach these assholes and get them in here for, for hearings. Um, but like nobody paid the price for Afghanistan. So it comes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning. OK, mm -hmm. quality, competence, excellence. And we have an entire leadership class from a party that directly and publicly rejects those concepts as important, necessary, or even just, right? Right. Biden's cabinet is made up of every kind of freak you can possibly imagine. Okay, you got, you got, I mean, you got cross-dressers all over the place. You got guys calling themselves women. I mean, you've got, it, it's a cabinet where almost nobody was picked for the quality of their accomplishments in life. And whether right. they knew anything about the subject that they were handling, all right, um, and they're running the country in that fashion. Yeah, they're operating. Yeah, on but the thing is, that have you... nothing to do with real with the real world, and you're seeing what we what we're getting. And you're right, there is no floor to like, oh, you know, it, it can't like in the Cuban Missile Crisis. There was some faith on both sides. That yeah. you know, this is bad, but eventually, you know, it's a question of how do we step back from the ledge? Right. right. Because both sides, they knew that they wanted to step back from the ledge. They weren't quite sure, but the other guy's stepping back from the ledge. But ultimately, that was right. resolved because neither side really wanted it. I mean, I have more faith that Putin 
would step back from the yeah. ledge because there's some degree of wisdom where he's concerned, even though he hadn't shown a whole lot to date. Then with our side, I have no idea what, what these clowns, I mean, what they're capable. But the thing is, is that if you think part of the problem is, and something we haven't even talked about is that these people don't care about America per se, what they care, no, they they're citizens of the world, yeah. all these things, they're, everything's global. And so they don't consider the, um, so do they really matter? Because they're not really defending American ideals. They're defending uh, what it means to be a good person in the new age ideals. Well, And, and, you know, you and can, that's changes by the minute. Well, I mean, again, go back to that county map, right? The sea of red, okay? What do you think those people think of the sea of red? I mean, yeah. it's not a mystery. They talk no. about it all the time. They're deplorables. They're bitter clingers. They're racist. They're this, they're that, they're well, other. Well, Kathy Hochul uh, encapsulated it. She'd fire all those people again if she had a choice. But like, you know. I don't know why you're so upset about, uh, you know, yeah. we got to put the criminals in jail. I mean, like that's, and Kathy right. Hochul is a pretty garden variety, you know, mediocre Democrat. Like I could totally yes. see her as a member of Biden's cabinet. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think she is, she's like Jennifer Granholm with a hair job. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, there's a, a, a distinct type of person right. that makes up the leadership class within the Democrat party and they are not American patriots. They well, and, not, and, 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 and the Republican party. Yeah. Let, let, let me just, I'm going to say something controversial here, but the people at the top of the GOP who were talking, the Romneys, the, right. and, and now the bulwark class and the dispatch and all of them, they have more in common. They hate the same people. Yeah. They might not no, like not each that. other much, but they really hate the same people. And it's pr pretty much anyone who, you know, now patriotism is called nationalism. Mm -hmm. Now, believing in, you know, you're a bigot if you believe obvious biology. Right. And so like the hoity-toity class is way up here and just marinated in this BS and think anybody who doesn't believe like that is is a cretin and just uh, so right. kind of, um, you know, yesterday and just yeah. won't get with the program with the way the world is now. Well, I, I would say that that class of Republican is definitely on the way out. Okay. Mm -hmm. That class of Democrat, they're not on the way out, at least within their party, they're not on the way out. They are 100% in control mm -hmm. of, of the Democrat party. And I mean, you know, the fact that they ran Tulsi Gabbard out of that thing is very instructive. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like there is, they brook absolutely no dissent from any of that. And I mean, you saw it with that letter with the progressives. They're like, yeah. no, 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 take that back. You can't have that. And, um, you know, and, okay, so and, what and they want war. And they, they, I mean, yeah. these are the people that all, you know, probably were peace protesters when they were in college in the 80s. Yeah. Right? They wanted a nuclear freeze when Reagan was there. Right. Oh, right. And now, I mean, they can't wait to go get in a nuclear war with Russia. And it's like, you guys have, I mean, like you just go with the flow and like, you know, wh whatever you're told to do, you do. Nobody thinks for themselves. No, I mean, it, it's just, you know, and now, I mean, basically they're slaves to military industrial complex. Yeah. 
um, which Republicans have always been accused of, and fairly well, rightly so. Yeah. But I mean, the bulk of the GOP, its voters are, you, you and I are it. Like, we're just like, wait a minute. Well, there's no reason why we want to go to war with Ukraine. Do you think Kevin McCarthy said what he said because he hadn't been hearing from his constituents? Right. That guy's been on the road. And everybody he's talking to is like, do something about this. What, what the hell? Okay, you so know? Newt Gingrich spoke at our gala last week on Thursday. And he said that he put the the... He said that we were at the most dangerous point, which I actually agree with him, yeah. um, it, from a existential threat type of Armageddon type thing that we've ever been at any point in history. And I 100% agree because the, the um, methods and means to wipe out people has never been more efficient and greater. And we've never been governed by dumber, more amoral, immoral people. And so- you, it's just the worst kind of co combination, a whole ton of power in the hands of people who have no respect for it and are dumb, you know, arrogant and ignorant. And it's, and honestly, it's not just here. I mean, you know, we, we, no, no, it's all we need to talk about what's going on in the UK because right. that's very instructive for Republicans to see right. what's possible with our party. If we don't, you know, kick the money changers out of the temple, so to speak. Yeah. Right? So like, um, so we've got this situation and he, what, I, I can't remember. What did he say the risk was to us right now? It was some, did he say like 60% or something is, I thought is what he said. I, I think I, I think I might've blocked that out. <laughs> right. So anyway, like my point is, is that we're not the only ones talking about this or thinking about it. Right. Um, and certainly it's got a kind of it's it creates this kind of uh unease amongst people to to know that it's even being discussed and so we don't we are way out over time and we need to be done do you have any yeah, final I'm, glad, I'm glad we did this though yeah. because i like i mean i think you and i have just said a lot of stuff that needed to be said and i'm not saying nobody else is saying it but i'm glad we did yeah i'm glad we did too so thank you guys all for listening. Um, uh, I I think it's going to be an optimistic red wave. Now the question becomes: Can it do? Can that red wave do anything to curb the baser appetites of the people in charge of DC? And that's a question for the next week because I have my doubts. <laughs> you know, and which makes you wonder: Do elections matter at all when you have these lifelong bureaucrats who are going to do whatever they want? to secure their own personal power at any cost. But that's a question for another day. While you're looking, um, you're listening to this, I hope that you are liking us. You have to subscribe to us on YouTube or on Spotify or whatever for us to kind of get more juice on Google rankings. That's how it works. So if you like us, please um, like and subscribe and share with people that you know that will all help us and, and give us feedback in the comments, which will be below. Give us feedback about, you know, our bumper music all the way from something as trivial as that to the content of what we're talking about. And if there's some guests that you'd like us to talk to, you know, let us know that too. Um, but thank we're you. Very we're much. crawling now. We're going to begin walking, and that involves bringing in extra people to this conversation. That's exactly right. So, yeah, we're still in the beginning of this. So, thank you for putting up with us. We're talking a lot. And um, 
I hope you'll join us next week. We'll have another issue we, episode. We have we have one episode in the tank and that took us a minute. And so we'll probably have two closer together and then we'll have another one weekly going forward. Um, and there's endless things to talk about because everything's going to hell in a handbasket. So <laughs> the topics are, uh, we're not short for any topics. So thank you, Scott. And thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week.